The first thing is when we talk about disciple makers or disciple making or discipleship in our church, that at times we see it identified primarily as programs or classes. Right? So we didn't have budgets for this, right? So you can be a discipleship officer, and that's going to be equivalent to Sunday school, right? Uh, so, so there's like this identification of some type of ministry that's attached to discipleship. Now, before you wonder, well, that's the exact case. Yeah, I think we just want to stay there with that and then see, well, is this what disciple making is all about? That is primarily uh, a particular uh, box of how to do things, a budget item, a particular uh, scheduled thing. So definition-wise, I think, you know, we have to be clear on what disciple making looks like. Secondly, demand. Uh, we have so many ongoing ministries that require manpower, and they're also good. I mean, everywhere across, you know, the, the, the breadth and spectrum of our calendar and of our people and of our staff, we see so many wonderful and great and faithful ministries, so many good things. But I'll tell you this, from the perspective of the father who's called to disciple my children, some of the most innate hindrances to spending time investing in your kids is busyness. Is that actually what is often an excuse for you or an inconvenience for you in investing in your children to disciple them is that you're too busy to do it. You're showing up for too many things, you're committed to too many ministries, that your family becomes kind of an afterthought. You don't give them your best. And I'm guilty of this. And so we begin there with the greatest of demand in our church for ministries that requires a lot of people, then that's why you hear things like, oh, we have a 2080 thing going on in our church, where 20% of the people does 80% of the work, kind of reflective of evangelical churches in our country. But it's not a surprise, but it's also us, that we have so many good ministries that demand for people and human resources so high that it will possibly get in the way of disciple making. Third, assimilation. We have a lot of people that are gifted and trained but they don't know where they can serve. And I've heard this quite a few times. And here's the thing. Pastor Kelly and I, we believe you guys. That you have shared, you know what? Um, we know how to do this. We've done this before. You see this ministry? We built this. But, you know, connect us to where we can help. We just don't know where the needs are. We don't know what is happening. Right? So assimilation is an issue. It's not the, the number of qualified people or experienced or seasoned people is that they're not connected in ways where the needs are. Not to mention that maybe in terms of how they can be best positioned for discipling. And then finally, fourth, mobilization. That if you're coming through the front doors of FCC Walnuts, the easiest way to get connected to something to our church will be if you know somebody. But if you don't know somebody in our church at all, you just walk in cold. It's actually pretty hard. It's very hard to know where to go. It's very hard to know where the gates are. It's very hard to know where the groups that you can belong to or the people that you can talk to. It's, it's very hard. So how do you then move people for the purposes of disciple making to where they can best be invested in, where they can grow, where they can learn? Uh, so those are some of the problems here. And um, I was able to catch an insight uh, just even this morning. So we're here at the Shirley Hall that is so far uh, that every single day is working out right together. But this morning we were coming here and we're walking down the hallway coming from dropping off the kids for me. But we're coming down the hallway and I'm walking with a few people. We're walking. 
And then, you know, you see a bunch of people in front of you, they're all headed towards, you know, the start of the point here. And then you kind of see some people, you know, on the sides, and maybe they're not sure where you're going. And so, there's a couple of things that happen. One would be, well, if you don't know who they are, you just kind of keep walking. But what I also saw was that if you knew who some of those people were, as in the people I was talking with, if you knew who they were, you would say, hey, come this way, come follow me. The auditorium's over there, it's really far, I know you don't see it, but it's down there. And then everyone just keeps going in that direction into the auditorium where they were here to be fed and here to be with each other. But what was helpful was that there was somebody that created an argument for you to come on board. There was a relational connection. So here's the conversion, right? So you got all the emails. You know where to find the websites for this campus. You have all the facts and details and documentations. We have the word of God. We preach it and we teach it. But see, the difference maker is that there was someone that connected you to a pathway that was a thoroughfare where everyone was going in their following of Christ. Without that, if you're left out, you're just left out. Now, you can struggle, you can try, but then you're not a part of what is happening here. Now, let me add one more thing. What if there were people in those beautiful-looking buildings to either side of us? And, you know, they're like, hey, you know, I've been to this retreat before. I know exactly where it is. But they're in their buildings. They don't know our people. We don't know they are there. So they're disconnected, so they can't help, and they can't support, but they know what to do. But we just don't even know that they're there because they're in these beautiful buildings off the side. And we need to bring them in. So even as I was walking this morning, I said, like, well, if this whole disciple-making idea, if it's more than a program, but it's a trajectory, if it's a direction, if it's a destination, who's Christ, then there's some parallels there to what it means to live a life in which it helps to bring people into the pathway that you're on, rather than just do your thing, not worry, not look, not care, like you have some noise canceling headphones, and you just keep walking. I mean, at the end, you know, you say, hey, we got their emails, right? Uncle Peter was faithful. He sent his emails, right? You know, you're in your small groups, you know, I mean, why don't you call someone? There's a lot of things that you can say, but at the end, what really helps is you just connect them, that there's a relational and assimilation means of getting on the pathway. And so I hope you can see along with that, from my perspective, how you know we have some things that we can work on. And this is, again, by no means a knock on anything that we've been about, that we are strong yet, that we've been burdened for and cared a lot about. But it helps sometimes to see where we're at. Okay? If our goal especially is to reach non-Christians and outsiders. So here's a paradigm I think it's helpful for us to, to remember then what this retreat is all about. So this retreat, you've heard the vision, you know, we're called to be a vibrant church with disciple makers. So that disciple makers was recently added on uh, after this year's staff retreat, and that was really wonderful. So this retreat then is supposed to offer one more angle, right? Becoming. So it's supposed to offer the house. Okay, so let's, let's kind of first begin with what we started with. So what does it mean to be vibrant? I think you're just full of life and full of joy when you're vibrant. That being a Christian, that following Jesus is not just a list of tasks, a lot of chores, a scheduled, you know, thing to follow, but that you have this fresh desire to constantly know and to love Christ and what your life is about, to serve Him, uh, you know, to, to be even corrected, uh, to be shaped, and to be conformed to the image of Jesus. It's life living in you, 
and you know when something is alive and when something isn't. Now, what is the church? Uh, the passage I got to read last night, 1 Corinthians 12, 26. You know, before I knew I was assigned that, that was actually the passage that I had in mind thinking about what a church is. That the example that Paul uses to describe the church is that you are a body. You're members of a body, which is why people join the local church, because no one can make you a member. Right? But you're members of a body, connected to one another. There are not all identical members, but then also people that are different were gifted that way to be unique and to be useful and to be important. So the body of Christ describes the church with Christ as head. And as he leads us through the preaching of his word, and as he leads us through the spirit within us in Christ, then we live out that identity as a family, as a body together. So we're primarily connected through a relationship in Christ as the church. And then finally, to be a disciple maker, then, is to take somebody from point A to point B in their walk with Jesus. In fact, this is the only thing that Jesus authorizes disciples to do. You know, sometimes uh, you, know, you look at passages where, let's say, I'm calling to a uh, pastor, a shepherd, uh, you know, to shepherd the flock, to preach the word, to do these things faithfully. Do you realize that even that falls under the mandate to make disciples? It's just that that's what the pastor was supposed to do to make disciples. The greatest command is greatest commission is actually the great commission that every Christian is called to make disciples of all nations, going to places where disciples aren't, baptizing and incorporating them into the church, and teaching them to obey, which is the pointing to training, versus just memorizing knowledge base. You're teaching them to obey, which is how they live. Everything that's been commanded from God's word. And so being a disciple maker is our primary identity as a follower of Jesus. And it's bringing somebody from point A to point B. And that's the becoming part that hopefully you guys need to this retreat for us. How do we get from who we are, where you are, from point A to where you can take a step forward and be at point B, the next one, of being a disciple maker. For some of you guys, the steps might be small. For some of you guys, the steps might be large. But we're called then to, to be able to be equipped and encouraged in some way through this weekend so that we take that step to being a disciple maker when we go home. And that's the reason why, no matter how many of you guys are here tonight, God will use you because God is going to send us back with the steps that we've committed to take to make disciples where it is that he's placed us. So here then are some of our priorities that I think we should consider. And again, uh, these are just some reflections uh, off my head. Um, and you know, to take that uh, as uh, the teaching part of tonight. But I want you to wrestle with this, okay? So in your notebooks or whatever it is, if you have questions or thoughts, applications, uh, clarifications, write them down. Uh, but this is the part where I wanted to impart to us some things tonight. Um, so the first priority that, that we should have, if our definition of Discipleship and disciple making is maybe incomplete, uh, or maybe uh, not the most accurate that it can be. That we should adjust and reconsider what that definition is. What is discipleship? So, if the goal is to teach people to obey, then discipleship should be, should be one in which it is interpersonal. It is one person to another. Now, it can be one person to three people. It could be three people discipling one person, 
but there should be a target, and it's a personal target that you have in your mind. That you should know if you are being discipled, and you should be able to think by who. And you should also know who it is that you're discipling, who you're investing your life into, as formally or as casually as you can be and are. You should know that. And that's what disciple-making looks like. And there's at least an object, and there's a target, that there's a person or a people that you're pouring your life into in some meaningful fashion. Rocky Gallagher, who's a pastor in, in Nashville, he gave this definition to discipleship that I, I've uh, come to appreciate. He says this, Discipleship is intentionally equipping believers with the Word of God through accountable relationships empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to replicate faith followers of Christ. Okay, let me say that again. Don't worry about writing it down. That's the point I was going to you, okay? But listen to this. Listen to how this relates to what I've been sharing. Discipleship is intentionally equipping believers with the Word of God through accountable relationships empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to replicate faithful followers of Christ. So to shift the definition begins with us not seeing discipleship as something you go to, as a class that you take, although those things can help you to disciple, but it's primarily the people that you're investing in intentionally with the Word of God to hold them accountable, to encourage them, to build them up so that they can do that again to someone else. So hopefully your wheels are turning a little bit. And I want you guys to think, have you guys been discipled? Or have you discipled anyone? Maybe you are. But I wonder if many of us have not and are not. Secondly, if looking at demand, our church has so many worthy, good, solid, robust ministries that calls for human resources, but then that competes for time, energy, and commitment. I think it's important for us to assess and align our ministries. And this is where Pastor Anna and Lee Pastor, they will drive what a lot of that will look like in assessing and aligning. But here's the thing, on my end, even the heart of any ministry in coming here, I'm not trying to create a bunch of new things. And in small little ways, in intentional little ways, I'm trying to bend what it is that we're doing, whether it's your relationship with your children at home, whether it is how we relate to each other in Sunday school, whether it is how it is that we serve together, how it is that teams are built, that we're trying to bend things so that we are elements of disciple-making in what we are already doing. See, I mean, it's easy to say, okay, well, you know, once you do this and do that, and, but for right now, I think we just want to look at what it is that we are already doing. And let's make sure we are faithful in making disciples there. Right? But I think that calls for all of us. The things that you're investing in as a part of FCBC Alma, which we as pastoral staff appreciate you so greatly for, think about it. Are you making disciples in them? Are you being discipled to do your job better? And then you can start seeing some of the holes and some of the needs and some of the first steps that many of you guys can take to fill some of those areas. Because the holes are there once we start looking at ministries this way. Now for assimilation. 
And I think it's helpful for us to be able to communicate and connect the abundance of human resources that we have. And so part of even how you can be praying for us is that we're, 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 we're seeing now a clear, more, more uh, one, we just have a more better understanding of what it is that we are good at as pastors and what it is that we need help at. And if we're going to choose, I think we want to choose and commit to teaching, shepherding, and investing in people, which then some of the administration and other things like that are where the needs are, where people can fill in. And the big one for that, on my part, is being able to connect and communicate our human resources. Who do we have? What issues are happening right now? What are their needs? What are the expectations? What are the qualifications? What are the goals? And I'm thinking of this from the perspective of even being the person that's teaching the membership class and baptism class right now. So a very small step that we're taking is we're thinking, okay, if we have a cohort of 10 people and we take them through this, that at the end of this class, when they get baptized and they take their pledge, what, what do we owe to them so that they can be assimilated into the church? Because after all, right, they didn't join the church to be done with the church. They joined the church to be active in the church. They joined the church to do something in the church. They joined the church to be somebody in the church. So then we started thinking, okay, what are the resources that we can use and enhance and build? And so that's, that's what you can be praying for, whether it's uh, you know, ways to communicate with the congregation more regularly, whether it's uh, rosters and listings and things that are you can see so administratively related that it takes a lot of time, but we're just really praying for opportunities for that to come up because I, w- I would love to be able to hand anyone that's going to join our church because of the foundation of faith and their immersion into the church, into the church family, I would like to hand them something and say, hey, here are your next steps. Here's the groups that you can consider. Here are the fellowships that are available. Here are the ministries that we need to add. Here are the gifts that are required. Now, we have informal ways of that. We have the, hey, come work with me ways of that. And that connects them to number four, mobilization, right? We tend to get to where we're going to be by who we know in this church. So the hard part is that if you don't know the right people, you're just kind of left out there. But if you know the right people, I mean, whether you see the blessing and the curse, you're doing a lot and doing everything, right? Well, that's if our primary identification is our friendships. But what if our primary identification is simply that we are the family of God? And that there's brothers and sisters that are part of this body by their choice. That if they've committed to us, we need to commit to them. And, and put them where God has called them and gifted them to serve. See, these things don't happen overnight, but it begins with recognizing where we are, doesn't it? That if you don't recognize some of the holes, we can be very busy. Many of you that are faithful are very busy, but yet it still always feels like, how come I'm doing all the work and everyone else is sitting around? Those are symptoms that remind us of the need to evaluate our process. So those are four things um, you have to consider. And so mobilization, I want to start with members. So you can't take care of more tonight, but you know, last year we had a cohort of about 20 members that joined. Uh, I want to follow up on them. This year we have about six. I want to follow up on them. Uh, and so if you think, okay, how do we plug in these 26 people into active ministry and into regular community, this we can handle. This we can handle with about 26 people. It's hard to do with five of them. Nearly impossible for a thousand. But for 26 people, with 
you guys in the church family be the ones that bring them on board, that pull them through that mentor disciple, and we do this. And so mobilization begins with membership. All right, so here's a quote, and this is how you know for sure I'm not preaching today. Here's a quote from Bill Gates, okay? I like it a lot. It's a good quote. I hope you actually said this. I, that's what Google said, okay? Um, this quote, most people overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10. And said, most people overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what we can do in 10. And so all those things that I shared, and so what, what gives me peace, and I'm not all too anxious, I'll lose all things going on here, okay? But I usually don't come across too anxious. People think I'm the happiest person in the whole church, and that's partially true. Um, but I'm not too anxious because I see this and believe it. You know, I think that when I'm in my 50s, things will be different. I'm still right? Your kids are now college, and, you know, life goes, people will be grandkids, and people will be getting married, but our church, as God leads, will still continue to glorify Him and preach His word and serve each other and reach the people and go out to the community, locally and globally. So give us 10 years, if we're going in the right direction, Eugene Peterson wrote a book called The Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Right? If we keep going in the direction of disciple-making and pursuing vibrancy rather than just formality, we'll be okay. Because the Holy Spirit is doing this. But we do, again, have to know where we're starting from, where we want to go, and start taking steps. And those steps are important. And then you can mention all you want, because this is the church that Christ is building. And as we go on offense, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Right? These are just biblical truths that all of you guys are familiar with, but as is able to find comfort in your heart is when you actually hold to the fact that time is in God's hands. You're a very small part of it. But look at how faithful he's been to you. So don't worry. It's going to be okay. God's sure stance. Because he's very nervous. So here's some possibility that I thought it'd be helpful maybe to just raise some examples. And again, this is a limited sliver of what I have more knowledge and personal investment in. So this is not by any means representative of everything that God is already doing in our church that is in this direction. Okay? Uh, but, but some of these things I'm going to share have more uh, connections to my part of my own uh, you know, kind of uh, investment in time management. So, I want to share, you know, we got some of the things I think uh, can happen and some of the things that are happening. So, um, listed a few categories here. So, with fellowship, uh, one of my joys uh, has been uh, somewhat uh, having a presence on Friday nights with all of our fellowship ministries, in college in particular. Uh, you know, as uh, Kevin's being raised, or Edgeworth's being raised, they're doing a great job with the youth and it's you know, kind of equipping them, encouraging them to do their part to shepherd the flock of the youth and, and to fit all of this under a family ministry umbrella and culture of family and church versus family. But they're doing great, and just every single year, uh, things are moving forward. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but they just came back from YSMP this year. And this year, we sent two teams. The number of people is doubled. Not that's not numbers, but it's that it's growing. And it was completely led by our interns. It was completely led by their effort and their training and their coordination and their prayers. My heart was to see how they're doing, to give some insight and some history as is helpful. You know, make some calls if needed. But they, they have this. And it was them and their fellow counselors and their friends and some parents and a lot of youth and a lot of college that went to Arizona for a week. And they 
did their best to make disciples. And they're excited. And they're back. So until a year ago, this wasn't even happening, but a year later, it's bearing fruit. And I expect greater things going forward. Not because we're such great planners, but because they're focused on disciple making and because they are now disciple makers. It's been great. Well, so my manager's point in all of this going forward for short term is, is with turf, where we see a lot of strategic placement in this particular group of students. You know, they're not exactly young adults, they have their regular schedules, but then they're beyond uh, the limitation and maybe the uh, restraints of youth. And so this year we started talking about the summer. Well, how are we going to make turf a place in which they are going to be a part of our vision to make disciple makers? Well, we decided to turn things around. So you can say, okay, turf exists to give college students something to do, a place to be, and some you know sermons to listen to, and you know some ministries to do. You can say that, but we're turning it around. We're changing the essence of what turf is. So now, as we're going forward, and this is still new, it's starting with the counselors, it's starting it out. But turf exists now for this simple reason: to prepare and send students on missions. Sound a radical? Well, it just kind of gets us closer to the Great Commission. Kind of like, well, we can try to get you guys to come back, or to do this, or to do that, but you have other places to go. But we're going to exist so that for each year, we're going to be sending and equipping as many of you guys as possible to go on short commissions globally and globally. They have summers to do this. They have the desire for our mentor to do this. We'll have the support for them, and they can get support too. And if you look at the history of Christian missions. So much of it is driven towards life stages like this. That by the time they're young adults and they're getting married and they're getting set in their careers, that also influences their willingness and openness to do things for God. And that's just human. Your circumstances always provide a framework for you to consider your decisions. But in college, the parents gladly send them away. So we should gladly send them away. Right? And so then, why, why did he come on Friday nights? Because we want them to hear God's word, both preach and also explain and also apply because they need this for their souls, for them to grow, so that they can also then disciple someone else with this. Why should they meet in these community groups that talk about the sermon and also you know, care about one another? It's because they need to know how to bring new people in to a group because they will need this on a mission field. Why do we want them to invest on their campuses? Because the campus is a microcosm of what we sent them part of. And then everything fits. I don't feel bad about pushing the students to go in these directions. Because we exist to send you overseas or send you out anyway. And if you're going to come here, you're not a Christian, that's okay because we're going to share the gospel with you. Because that's what we're going to do on the field. You see how it changes things, that there's not this, oh man, how will church survive? How many students can we get? If we can do this with three, if we can do this with 30, we exist rightfully. And we exist for the glory of God. And imagine that the youth are able to look up to this and go, hey, when I move up to college, maybe I'll be sent out. You know, there's some things that maybe the Mormons have right, right? There's an expectation to be sent out. So that's something, very small thing, but that is, how does it look when we evaluate what we do and we align it to this desire to be environment church and disciple makers? Well, let's start with this. Why does the college group exist? Well, we're going to exist standing up. 
I mean, hopefully not too much kicking and screaming, you know. But, but we'll send you out, and you'll experience that. You'll go to conferences that will you this, and then we'll send you out with we'll a team leader because you're, you went to a conference, you know what you're doing, right? No, we'll see if it's, it's not quite like that. But the idea is that we're going to send you out, that's the push. It's not mission to something we do, but we only exist to do this. So let's see how everyone fits in your readiness and your maturity looking for this. But I think it gives us something actually worthy to live for as a college fellowship. You know, something that's transcendent than just getting good grades and getting a good job. Although I do believe that the best that God will use at the mission field should be those that are extremely competent in the career field as well. You know, they're not going to be the worst or the leftovers. I mean, God's going to equip and send excellent people. And I fully expect that to come through as well. Well, what's another possibility? Uh, again, looking then at our front door, right? So you can invite everyone in, it's great that we have a thousand people, but how you get people from the front door into your church family, that's the task of discipling. It's not just having attendance, because people rotate through, okay? You gotta get them in, and you gotta keep them in a way because they are being invested in and they're growing, right? So the front door, so I mentioned the stuff about membership, things I like to see happen. That I like to be able to, you know, tell all these membership candidates, say, you know what, you're coming in through the door, this is just the beginning. You getting dumped, that is just the beginning. I hope that you will forget about your baptism in a joking way, but I want you to remember that the rest of your life, whether it's 10 years, 50 years, 80 years, you will be a church member somewhere. This is where you're going to grow. This is the longest duration of time you have between now and heaven, especially if you're young, that you'll be a member of church. So we're preparing you for this. The baptism is the wedding ring. The quality of your walk with God is your membership. Okay? So we're preparing you for this. That's important. So how do you get them in the front door? By the same token, there's other front door ministries. Things like when we have our cohorts of family dedication families, and we're in the process now of matching them up with mentor couples. And this retro acts back to last year's too, okay? Things just need to take time. Thank you guys for your patience. But we want to connect you with couples that will walk with you as young parents. Because that's the cycle Right? We want to be able to provide resources and equipping and things like that so that you're not walking alone. Uh, I had this uh, weird idea in my head. Well, it's not weird because it sounds kind of corny. Um, but I was thinking of having like a gathering with the dads. You know, let's call it like, I don't know, disciple making daddies or something. You know, and we, we can meet and we can go over some stuff and talk about, you know, ways in which we can lead in a home. But it's very targeted, very specific, with specific people to commit to. Right? Um, I think the last you know, year has been, my part has been investing in people that now will go forth and make student ministry. But as that's settled, my, my heart is just going towards, well, who's, who can I invest in next? Who can I just spend time with next to get to know? And when it's that specific, it's awful. But it's these front door ministries, right? We bring them into the church family in some meaningful way, whether it's dedication, whether it's baptism, whether it's some hospitality thing that we're also going to be working. But then it, we don't ever settle for that. It's how do we get you from here? How do we get you connected to people, connected to ministry? So these are great possibilities for us to explore. But we have need for help, admin help, strategy help, you know, ways of process and other things that this is what we're trying to come up with. But we're not trying to come up with this all alone, but we we are at this point that we're asking for help to contribute to this, especially if this is on your heart. So this is me knocking on the door of you guys, some of you guys who are on the buildings on the side of the pathway. I don't blame you for being in those buildings. 
maybe things have you know kind of just changed and come through and it's not the same. But going forward, we're not going to move forward. If you have something to offer us, please do. We'd be glad to talk to you. We'd be glad to engage with you because we want to see these things happen. Thirdly, those that are faithful ministries, and a few that come to mind are so many of our small groups ministries, whether it's you know single gender or whether it's you know some of the, 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 the couples small groups that we have, they're great. Uh, the young ladies groups are, are, are growing and thriving, and, and we just appreciate those so much. So we just want to be able to, to for each one of those, give an opportunity, and as it's on your heart, bend those things so that the cycle making is happening in your groups. Maybe it's already happened. I'm not saying it's not. But maybe for some of us, uh, we could make it more so that there's that personal investment or you are being invested by somebody else. So the gatherings are great. The meals are wonderful. But what's next? You know, this summer, we have dining with the folks. That's the front door ministry. That's the faithful ministry. Well, maybe some of you guys at host could think, wait, maybe some of those people I can disciple after this. You don't need permission for this. I mean, if we need to do some coordination, sure, let's do that. But think about it. Think how do we get our existing faithful ministries to where disciple-making is happening on an intentional personal level. And you can be disciple even by your peer. You don't have to always believe older people. Discipleship is just encouraging each other in the work, praying for another, and helping each other to grow in Christ. Sharing life with each other. You can do this for people your own age. You can be discipled by someone younger than you. Right? It's, it's that actual investment that matters. And then, finally, a frontier. So that's really the teaching on, you know, and just kind of pouring out his heart on how we need to build these communities that are open in a variety of ways to people where newcomers can come, where people are able to, to take what is more of a, maybe a typical or standard type of gathering into more different types of places and times and occasions. And I, I appreciate him um, so much because next quarter, he's going to lead one too. He, he wants to show you guys what it looks like. And many of you guys have gone through classes and you're looking for him. But this is frontier then for us. Right? There's all the faithful ministries which we appreciate and want to bend, but then there's the frontier ones too that then God would use whether it's the church plan or to do other things. But maybe you can consider those too. Right? What are some of those frontier possibilities that we have? 